Hello and welcome to this episode of the Dayton Podcast. Uh, Ravi, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm well. I'm, I'm not being blown away because of Storm Kiara, which I can see from my window right now. I've been <laughs> like absolutely tipping it down all day. So luckily, I'm in, indoors all day. So I am. I'm grand. Amazing, amazing. I ran with I ran I ran with Toby uh, this morning in the wind. We wanted to get out before the rain came with the wind yeah. as well. So we we got out. We knew it was windy, and boy, it was windy. It was so windy. I think most of the run, Toby was pulling me through. Uh, basically, <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, I, I, it's already called tidbit this morning. So um, London to New York was done in record time this morning. Wow, due to the wind. So it was four hours and fifty six minutes on a nine hour <laughs> flight. So that was a bit ridiculous. Um, literally pushing the plane along exactly exactly and it sort of makes you think like hang on a second is it a good thing or a bad thing like because obviously if if i'm a pilot i'm like man i could make this in sub five Uh, and and then it's a challenge right so maybe it's it's i wonder if pilots have that sort of ego or whether they do think of the whole you know they've got what 200 passengers on board each time well, it's also it's also um, you know if they arrive you know five hours early for their you know landing thing, then everything at the arrival oh, end is, is is completely messed up. So it's probably a nightmare to be honest. Um, and that that as well, you probably not use as much fuel. So when you arrive at the uh, destination, you have to do some uh, basically circuits to burn the fuel uh-huh. that you weren't you weren't supposed to have <laughs> before you land. I know this because I watch too many YouTube videos, and this is actually one of them. How basically as soon as a plane takes off, it can't just land immediately; it has to burn a certain amount of fuel before it touches down. So there you go, it's pointless fact for the day. <laughs> there you go. I mean, this, luckily, luckily, it's not the aviation podcast; it's day trip. Absolutely, tech, so, um... absolutely. But yeah, we're we're in episode three of season three, and today we're talking about the internet of lots of things, right? <laughs> yeah, it, the, the title comes from one of my favorite Twitter accounts, which is the Internet of shit basically yeah um yeah. which which is fantastic because it sort of shows you pictures of fridges with the windows errors and all this stuff which is mm-hmm. it's good fun but then you start thinking uh and there's there's a lot of a lot of things to talk about here and a lot of things to cover um right right let's touch on uh data ethics uh we released that episode uh last week was it i think i was yep. away on safari yep. Yeah, Gwillem, um, Gwillem, uh, yeah, we recorded it actually before you went away, but we yeah. released it last week. And um, yeah, no, that was a really good episode. We had lots of sort of good feedback as well about that and, and how sort of, you know, it's starting to trigger some people's thoughts on that. Um, it also made me think a bit about sort of, you know, the way we work a little bit more. So it's, it's really useful sort of episode to reflect on. Yeah, I, I think those things are always, it, once they're on your mind, they, they that, that's the point, right? Like it's mm-hmm. just to make you be aware and consider it while working or doing anything that, that's somewhat relevant. So Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So no, very good. Um, I encourage you to take another listen on um, your podcast player of choice. Um, but you know, what are things, Ravi? What, when we talk about internet of things, what things are we talking about? <laughs> so I think the nice place to start here is, is talking about smartphones. Smartphones are the in- original internet of thing, the thing of the internet, right? The original thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because it's, you know, <laughs> the original thing is such a broad concept we could have to go back to stonemasons and all that stuff but right. let's, let's think about it as a concept of the original thing that connected to the internet that yeah. wasn't a computer or personal like a laptop or a computer something that we had on our persons at all times um i think the one of the really interesting th- um videos i i i watched which is by a guy called marcus brownlee uh, mkbhd mm-hmm. uh who's done hd review videos on youtube since he was like 13 or something ridiculous yeah um so he he did a video which was are we at peak smartphone uh, and, and the question here is uh, are smartphones going to get that much better or are we just stuck in stuck in the mud a bit i think right. the, a really good analogy he brought into that uh was cars you know mm-hmm. there, there, there isn't going to be a better car like, okay you can maybe talk about the tesla supervan and 
it's just electric cars as a different innovation but we are we no one would say like okay cool we're at peak car like mm-hmm. i mean your car is a car it gets you from a to b it's got four wheels and, and the chassis and all that stuff mm-hmm. um but every improvement every year is, is marginal i think that's where we are with smartphones um i mean i don't think i'm upgrading my smartphone for at least another year or two there's no unless there's that massive thing i'm like oh man i really need that but even then i'm just sort of like as long as it works does everything i need it to is somewhat fast and can last minimum a whole day uh, yeah i'm good <laughs> yeah i think i think there's a it's an interesting sort of discussion point because when you talk about that you're talking mostly about the hardware features right so the Correct. camera the battery the touch screen there's not much more you can really squeeze into them however on the other hand the software is far from you know uh, at, at a comparable level oh, I think, 100%. Uh, there's so many bugs that come out every year when the ios is updated um there's some very good examples or oh, android yeah uh, there's some very good examples where it's very clear the software could run so much better because for a lot of the you know software and technology we use today uh, the software still isn't optimized for the hardware the hardware is, mm-hmm. is, is, is is moving so fast that developers don't get the chance i think it takes a typical developer eight months to fully incorporate features from a new os and then mm-hmm. as soon as that happens they're already looking to the beta of the next one <laughs> and so you you never actually spend you know you know time in one particular phase going what's the best i can get out of this hardware today um, right. you don't sit in that whereas with cars you know that does happen you know you get sort of iterations of engines and the engine isn't going to change the design the fundamental concept of engine isn't going to change but they've had decades to improve and really refine the sort of way that we interact with cars to to where interiors today look like people's living rooms <laughs> right and you get tv screens and all yeah. sorts coming in i think i have right. my first car with um carplay in it where you connect your phone and suddenly it's an extension. People can see my messages. I'm like, whoa, whoa, right. whoa hang on a second here. I'm, like, I'm in a car with four other colleagues uh, going across America. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, th- I think that, that that really got this thought process going for me at mm-hmm. least. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it feeds in quite nicely to this conversation uh, because that hardware software pivot is, is quite important when it comes to you know, smart devices, right? Right, right, exactly. Um, and if you start to sort of, you know, broaden the field, um, you know, to things like smartwatches, um, which, you know, mixed mixed reviews on those. Uh, at the moment, they're mostly notification devices and fitness devices. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got things like Alexa and Google Home, um, mm-hmm. who, you know, kind of pretending to be assistants around the house, but really all, all people do is chuck silly questions and, and make jokes out of them, you know? Um, <laughs> and uh, and then in terms of other devices, you've got things like tile trackers, which are, you know, these Bluetooth little dongles you, you shove in your keys. And then when you lose your keys, it uses the power of the crowds to kind of find where your keys are. Um, mm-hmm. And so you've got a whole gamut of smart devices, all mostly using wireless technology of some sort in order to communicate with something else. And right. that's where most of the smarts has been focused on. We still don't have um, Google level AI, you know, working for us on our phone telling us that our keys are by the table right like we yeah. still don't have that kind of um seamless integration we promised almost a decade ago now. not yet not yet and i think but i think having you know got my connected home going with right. the google home right. uh among other devices right it's i've got chromecast to google home uh, mm-hmm. nest thermostat um it, all of these things are sort of adding up to just making my life easier um, yeah. and sort of assisting my laziness right and i think th- this is the argument i always get when i start talking about this it's like well that's just making you lazy it's like well no i disagree, yes. yeah. <laughs> I, disagree. I, I fundamentally disagree it's not about lazy it's about the time the, the amount of time you're spending doing something inane right yeah so time spent not having to get up and go switch the lights on is time better spent doing something more useful that's all it is if you if you don't make use of that time then fair enough you know jokes on you but mm-hmm. i think it's also about you know yeah, if you if you think of the chromecast as a very simple example 
that device is basically a stick. You plug it into the back of the TV, and now your TV has the feature it should have had five years ago. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, right? That's basically and, what a Chrome and, stick, a Chrome stick is. And, and it's and it, honestly, it's, it's made things so much easier. Like again, like I said, right. it's right. it's small things like the phone rings. I need to pause the television, right? Uh, or Netflix. I can just say to my Google Home, pause Netflix or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I can turn on the light on and off when it suddenly gets dark and, and starts yeah. to rain. Think, mm-hmm. It's small things like that. Um, mm-hmm. When I'm putting my shoes on, I can ask the weather so I don't have to get my phone out. And, you know, all of that, all of these tiny little things start adding up um, right. to something right. bigger, right? But those um, should all be native features in everything you've just mentioned, right? Like they should be able <laughs> right. to talk to each other off uh, a common protocol and yeah. just work. I shouldn't have to put a stick so that my, you know, Chromecast can talk to something else. I've bought a device to talk to another device, which I've shoved yeah. into the back of my TV. Great. <laughs> so my favorite thing, I think, uh, is so all of these things need a Wi-Fi connection. They need right, some sort right. of network connection. Oh, please, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so most of these things you can uh, start running off your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's one of these things you sort of you scan a QR code or you yeah. get the app and install it via Bluetooth. Blah blah mm-hmm. blah blah blah. Now mm-hmm. for for my Nest thermostat, uh, you actually have to enter it manually, the Wi-Fi right. password. And oh my God, if you get your first ever like, if you get your first, it has um, no keypad. So how do you do? Correct. That? Well, it's, it's click wheel. It's click wheel. It's basically like an iPod Classic. Like an iPod Classic. You do know Tony Fidel, who started Nest, was the creator of the click wheel design, right? Oh wow! There we go. <laughs> there you bit, go. Bit, full bit circle. Very, <laughs> very full circle. Um, but yeah, so the, the the first password you get with your router when you get it installed, you, uh, obviously if the smart thing to do is to change it. I've changed it to something similarly strong and long and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but that means it's like twenty five characters with special characters, blah blah blah. Right. right. And you're just sitting there on on like click push scroll clicks push and it's just like man if i have to do this again um there, there was there was a power cut um at where i live uh, a couple of months ago mm-hmm. uh, no, it, 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 they cut the power and they installed like a smart thermostat or something yeah. else mm-hmm. and when that when that came through uh they cut the power which meant i was like oh no i'm gonna have to do the click wheel again um so all, all of these different things like because you have to have that network connections mean you have to establish it and change it and each all routers now come with two wave frequencies right you get the 2.4 gigahertz and the 5 gigahertz and the the difference there is range right so something you might get in the garden will be a 2.4 gigahertz and your 5 gigahertz faster one you'll be getting um through 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 like the walls in your house when you're closer to the router yeah Um, yeah. how how do you think this will change like how how do you think that the strength of the connection and um the the impact of having so many devices connected to your internet will 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 change the way we think about smart objects so in order to answer this, I have to sort of step back a little bit. Um, we talked a lot about hardware and fundamentally that hardware is driven by chips and those chips are fundamentally developed by a handful of companies, uh, Apple, uh, Intel, Qualcomm, AMD. These are fundamentally the people who make the underlying technologies and protocols that you know enable these devices to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Now, when we had the advent of you know mobile internet, that was technically 3G. I remember the you know Sony Ericsson flip phone that you could watch football goals on. You know, that, <laughs> that was like the big thing. Watch goals on your phone, right? That was the first sort of advent of here's some data, actual data with enough bandwidth that can actually do something meaningful uh, on the go. And then we had 4G, which fixed the next problem, which is that bandwidth isn't fast enough. Here's a little bit more bandwidth in a more reliable state that you can use to stream an entire film on the go. Okay. And, you know, that we've only just really got to the point where mobile phone and networks are actually able to do that in a reliable way. And coverage for 4G is now just about reaching sort of, you know, decent levels. I'm not saying it's great, but it's reaching decent levels. Okay. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, if you look at sort of the last five years of, you know, I'm going to say connection. So I'm talking about Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, um, you know, mobile internet, your internet at home. 
They all suffer from one big problem, and that's latency. Uh, you'll experience this really well if you're, for example, on a train. Get on a packed train and then try and use your phone, okay? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. basically impossible. It will never work. And that, the reason watch is, a sports game. Yeah, okay, or go to a sports stadium or stand outside a sports stadium. The reason is, is because so many people are connecting to the same antenna and the noise in that sort of uh, process is basically makes it very, very hard. Now, as soon as you move out the station, what actually ends up happening is the connection gets better and you're actually able to, to, to use stuff. But every time you stop, it gets worse. It's basically the same principle um, with most of technology today. It was designed for speed, but it wasn't designed for a lot of persistent sort of connections and low latency communication. If I give you another example, we talk a lot about driverless cars in society mm-hmm. today and how they're going to work. Now, mm-hmm. if I put a driverless car on the motorway on the M25, uh, that's a highway um, here in, in the in the UK, and you go down that uh, motorway at 75 miles per hour, let's say you're breaking the speed limit, whatever. Yeah. Um, you, the the latency required for the car to be able to communicate thousands of data points about the cars around it, the weather, the traction on the road, the grip, changing lanes, speed, distance, all of these calculations have been being done tens of thousands of times a second, and it can do all of that but then it can't communicate that data fast enough back to the network so that Mm -hmm. other cars know what this car that I'm driving is doing because the latency to do that is still too slow. So the time it takes to send that information to the network and then back again is still too slow. And so where we are now is that, you know, we've got actually the sort of convergence of a lot of technologies coming together to make that possible. So you've got Wi-Fi 6, which is actually in the latest smartphone, which is quite uh, latest sort of iPhone and Samsung. Yeah, which is quite cool, but there's no routers yet that support that technology. So you've got a lot of idle technology in your smartphone today, um, not being used just yet. You've then got 5G, and I think 5G is a real big enabler here because it takes a concept of you know LTE, 4G, and basically it, it, it to to break it down. Um, if I use an analogy of um, an Ocado, um, you know, delivery driver, right? Yeah. He, he grabs your shopping. Ocado is a delivery service for food shopping here in the UK. Okay. He grabs your food. He or she grabs your food, puts it in their van, brings it to you, then goes back to the depot for each and every delivery. That's how the network works today. Okay. It can't handle too much information simultaneously. Now, where we go with 5G is that that Ocado driver can actually put all the load he needs to put onto his truck uh, on at the same time. And he can do simultaneous deliveries at the same time and arrive back at the depot at the same time with the same mm-hmm. amount of bandwidth. And that yeah. sounds absurd and some sort of you know sci-fi sort of concept. But that's essentially where we're going with 5G because it's using lots of different technologies to make that possible. And so we're now at this point where you know, this dream we were offered five years ago of everything connected, you know, um, is going to kind of explode beyond just Alexa at home being able to play mm-hmm. music back to you or, you know, set timers, for goodness sakes. Uh, <laughs> I think these things are probably the most expensive timer setters. That's, I think, 90% of what I use mine for in the kitchen and photos, basically. Photos, music and timers. That's 90% of the use case. Well, mine's, mine's probably connect, connecting, like controlling TV lights and, <laughs> yeah, timers and, and, and I think weather. Yeah, that, exactly. That, that, weather, weather, weather. Timings, yeah. yeah. How do I get to X? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very mm-hmm. true, very true. Um, and so we're now at this advent where this technology is now actually coming to fruition. And it's going to take a little while because at the same time, you still have this other problem in society, which is the sunk cost of basically everything we've ever invested in, everything that isn't 5G. So to, to, to use 5G, you can't just sort of put a 5G chip in a phone and say, off you go, because as soon as you leave a city, you'll have no reception. So you have to then support 4G. And again, 4G doesn't have 100% coverage yet, uh, at least not in the UK. So then that means you also have to put 3G, but 3G isn't supported by all devices because some of those devices are still old. So you still need to have 2G in your phone as well, right? And so yeah. 
you end up having this all this innovation go into a new protocol. But in order for it to work, you still have to make a chip that does 2G, 3G, 4G, and now 5G. And so you get 5G, but the downside is that your battery life is awful because you're having to carry the load of doing seven different types of communication on one chip, right? Um, and so that's that's sort of the sunk cost problem, right? People don't want to move too quickly because then you know the cost to upgrade your phone, uh, the cost to customers will be extremely high. So we end up suffering actually initially for the first three or four years where people go, oh, what's the point of 5G? I thought I was going to get this. But actually what's happening is that, you know, you're being phased into that technology, which then, you know, worsens your impression of it, which then means it doesn't get as well adopted and people don't move to it quickly enough. So you've got this sort of weird uh, dynamic sort of working against each other. Um, but I, I think we are generally at the point where uh, this is going to explode. And more importantly, that's going to have a big impact on the data that we, we see um, being available to businesses and everyone around us today. Right. And I think the, the really important point you touched on there is just how everyone's going to adopt it, right? Like yeah. what, are you, what, are, what are the tangible benefits people will have, see within the first sort of year? Like, but, but I think that the same was when 4G came out. The same was right. when 3G came out at first. Like, right? Everyone was like, yeah, but I, I'm, why do I bother with 4G? I don't even have 3G where I am. It's yeah, like, exactly. well, this, well, within a year, it was everyone everywhere was just about on 4G. And the second you hit a 3G network or you're on a train or something, you're like, oh my God, this is so slow. Yeah. Um, you get used to that sort of that sort of change. I think what's really important, your thing you mentioned there on 5G is the latency and the speed at which you'll get information back. Right, right. Because like let us take um real-time traffic, for example. So you can pay TomTom for that service, mm-hmm. uh, and many people do, or you can look at Google Maps, and Google mm-hmm. Maps uses every other well, basically every Android user, full stop, like <laughs> regardless, like if you turn it on or off or whatever. So every Google Android user, as well as any any other user using Google Maps at that moment in time to simulate traffic, right? To say that there's a lot of traffic here because we can spot a lot of phones here. Yeah. Uh, I think I think you, you showed me this article where one guy um, walked, what was it, like 100 smartphones across a bridge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it was like an artist. Um, he, he put 100 smartphones in a trolley literally in a, in a, in a trolley, the size of a bucket, like a tiny bucket. Mm-hmm. And he put it in a trolley cause it's quite heavy. And then he, he opened Google maps on every single one of them and routed them to a certain uh, point so that they'd stay running in the background. Then he mm-hmm. wheeled the trolley around on the road. And what that did is it created artificial traffic jams because Google uses phone data on the road to figure out traffic. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, Exactly. So, so according to Google, there were a hundred cars at this like, you know, freeway, but he was taking pictures of himself with literally no one around him because surprise, surprise, Google was rooting everyone away from these roads because it thought there were a hundred uh, cars and, you know, just, just exactly. in a procession going around town. And, and we don't even consider these things when we actually like look at, we're looking at traffic trends, right? We're just like, oh, right. man, I, I'll take a different route because it'll be quicker. And Google tells you, let yeah. me route you to something where you'll get there five minutes faster. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, all of those things will be better, right? Yeah, exactly. And they'll be smarter as well. Um, and the, the other thing about this is that the um, just improving the quality of the connection makes certain technologies even more possible that weren't before. I'll give you a mm-hmm. simple example. Uh, I currently have a, a PC on my desk. Uh, it's a pretty powerful PC. I use it for gaming. I use it for video editing. Now, I only built it a month ago, but for seven months prior to that, I actually was renting a PC from a company in France called Shadow. And what they do is they basically rent 
um, PC, I'm going to say PC hardware to you and they stream the, the screen to wherever you are, um, you know, in, in the world. And so what that means is I don't actually have to pay the high costs to build a, a custom PC, but I can still enjoy, you know, high quality gaming with people all around the world without having, having to build a PC. And I can do this on my mobile phone, my laptop, which doesn't have the specs to do any gaming. And mm -hmm. they rely on a really strong, good internet connection in order to do that. Now with low latency internet connections, those kind of possibilities become even easier because it's it's a concept called edge computing where basically you you move the computational task not uh, away from your local device or your laptop and you move yep. it to the cloud and then mm -hmm. there's certain sort of activities stay on your local device so for example in that example my keyboard and my mouse movements are captured locally right because yep. i'm the one playing the game they can't do that in the cloud they can't predict where i want to go although apparently google uh, are doing that with their service where they can predict what moves you're about to make and then make the graphics render faster because they can figure out sort of where you're going. It's some weird concept, right? But anyway, I'll come, I'll come back to later. Um, so edge computing allows for this sort of possibility to bring the cloud closer to people and to make it faster and sort of more capable, which again opens up new possibilities um, for everyone. I think I think the other thing alongside like low latency computing is the power. So like yeah. the amount of power used will be much lower. Um, yeah. So I think it's Wi-Fi 6 and 5G will allow you to actually have like almost... A computer will be on or a smart device will be on, but it won't be used as much power as it usually does in exactly. order to perform the service or give the yeah. service, which is so important for, for sort of running electricity costs, uh, mm -hmm. for, for impact on um, networks. Uh, and also just, just yeah, the overheads are so much cheaper to, yeah. to do that sort of thing, right? So Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's much more sort of um, economical. And it's funny because these things uh, sort of add up, right? If you mm -hmm. take a football stadium again, if everyone's running Wi-Fi on their phone and connected to the stadium Wi-Fi, just think how much energy is being used simultaneously in our pockets, right? You've got many sort of mini reactors in our pockets, right? That's what a and battery I, is, basically. <laughs> and, and then add, add on to that, like, if once you have Wi-Fi, people are going to be like, man, imagine if I could charge my phone at the football game that I'm paying 50 quid to see. Yeah, uh, exactly. All, all of these things start to really quickly add up, right? Like, as in, right. why, why can't I charge my phone, blah, blah, blah. It gets mm -hmm. more and more and more expensive. Yeah. Um, but I think you, you also, when we talked about hardware, I think you also mentioned earlier on about the you know, the trade-off. So better hardware maybe is better, more energy efficient as well, but right. to have more powerful hardware, it will need more power. So I think what you almost get to a scenario of happening is instead of your power being used to power the, the Wi-Fi, that mm -hmm. power then then gets rerouted and reused into a better performance about, yeah. probably via the hardware. Would, yeah, exactly. Would that sort yeah. of follow? Yeah, that absolutely follows. So if you take uh, if you take a simple um, take a smartphone, uh, that's basically the, the most easy example to explain. Any battery power that's used to you know keep the Wi-Fi persistent is battery not being used by the CPU, and everything is a coefficient of power. So the the CPU in your smartphone could do more things if it had more power. If you took the chip out out of your iPhone and you mm -hmm. plugged it into a motherboard which had a wall plug. You could run that CPU probably three times faster than its current <laughs> speed because nice. it's being limited by the battery, not by its capability, not by the power. So the, the trick with a smartphone is having it use very little elect electricity while still being able to do high computational tasks. If you don't have that limitation, you can do so much more with it. The iPad is a good example. If you take the iPad uh, Pro at the moment, mm -hmm. that is faster than the uh, base model iPad Pro is faster than the base model MacBook Pro. Um, of, of equivalent price um, because the ARM chip is just so much better at handling power 
and mm -hmm. uh, if, and its efficiencies there just work way better. But when you give it a battery the size of an iPad, it's yeah. suddenly able to do things even faster. Like it renders 4K faster than my powerful PC can render 4K. I actually did that test. I took a video, a very <laughs> basic video, and I said, okay, I'd like you just to output this video in 4K. No processing, just re-render this in 4K. And the iPad did it in like, I think it was 30 seconds, and my powerful PC took about a minute to do the same thing. Now, okay, the iPad's optimized for that particular procedure because it's got a special chip in it, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's got a special customization that allows it to use low power and uh, be efficient whilst doing that high computational task. I also want to talk about, about software here as well. So the, yeah. the software we use on these internet-connected devices, yeah. um, on dedicated devices that are like an iPad, that are purely optimized for the task it has to do, as in it will... It is based on the app you have open right now uh, as yeah. to how much resource it's using, right? Mm -hmm. All of those different things add up, right? So the the fact that software and the post-processing, that will continue to improve, I think is why we'll see more and more people start to use connected home devices. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to trickle, like go back to our, one of our first points, which is talking about, you know, the, the smart watches. They're, yeah. they're probably the most, uh, what's the word? Uh, no, no, not exciting. I wouldn't say uh, <laughs> okay, most yeah. prevalent, most prevalent uh, new Internet of Things wearables tech that's actually being used. Right. I think the big yeah. the big thing there, as you said, everyone, a lot of people have Apple watches, Garmin's um, fitness trackers, Fitbits, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the things you're, you're starting to notice now is two. So first, it's getting cheaper. Mm -hmm. uh, alongside the, the, the cost of uh, connected home devices like smart speakers. So, yeah. for example, I think over Christmas, it was like a tenner for a yep. Google Home Mini. Yeah. Uh, yep. Once you have one, you then get like the rest of your, <laughs> every other room kit. Every room has one. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Um, that, that's the way they get you, as it were. Um, the, the, the second thing there is if cost as well as it's getting nicer. It's getting, the, the stuff you can do on these devices is getting more, like more and more prevalent. You know, having something on your wrist where you can say a set a timer for 15 minutes is still about five to 10 seconds faster than getting your phone out and having to do the app. Right. Like think, think about like, I, when I think about connected time, I don't really think about the, the, the laziness as much as is referred to me as, but I think it as, as something that's augmenting my life. So for example, if I'm in the kitchen, um, if I had a, uh, always at the Google show or no, say Amazon show with the Google, yeah. the screen, one Nest on the Hub. screen, Nest Hub, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that allows you to see recipes and watch videos of, uh, mm -hmm. of cooking. Right. I've got uh, one. I don't, yeah. I, yeah, exactly. Another, another thing would be smart fridges. This was probably my favorite internet of shit. Uh, you know, the, the first, one of the first ever innovative smart fridges, which had the Windows XP era blue screen of death on it. And it's, it's quite <laughs> funny because it's a fridge. Yeah. Um, but then when you start thinking about, well, how, how would this work in, in practice? Well, a smart fridge would probably have, you know, in, in, in a five to 10 years time, a transparent screen which allows you to peek inside your fridge. Uh -huh. um, you probably might end up having sensors in there, which can start spotting um, what's going off and what you need to use soon. Yeah. Uh, it would probably have some sort of connection to your grocery store. So you can um, quickly add something to your basket or to uh -huh. your shopping list. Uh -huh. um, and, and you can also probably have like, oh, I want to cook fajitas this week. What do I need to buy that's not in my fridge? Yeah. It gives you a recipe, yeah. click, list. And then when you want to buy fajitas, it'll tell you, where everything is, how much stock you've got left of all your different food items, and then it would then communicate to your um, your screen, smart screen, and your uh, thing to show you the recipe, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right. So it's, exactly. it starts to augment your life rather than um, do something where you're, you're in a in a scenario of you're just doing it because you're lazy, right? 
Yeah, yeah. We, we're kind of in the halfway house at the moment with all of that stuff. So if I if I take some of your examples, you know, mm-hmm. meal delivery services, not delivering an Uber, but I'm talking things like HelloFresh and Gusto, you know, mm-hmm. they they already kind of, you choose a recipe and they send it to you in a box and they've proven that that can actually work. You know, I get, I've had one of those now for a year and two months and that, that system is reliable. I've only ever had the delivery go missing once and mm-hmm. the food arrives fresh as anything, uh, iced, iced really, really well. Uh, and boom so they've proven that model all that needs to happen now is that instead of me going online every week and choosing what i want um, Mm -hmm. some intelligence like you say where it's able to look at the fridge and just time the delivery so that okay look looks like your fridge is running low um you know let's send a delivery now and it has three meals this week rather than four because we noticed in your calendar that you're out three nights tonight whereas the moment i have to (laughs) i have to go in and you know me and brie have to go in and you know preemptively a week before right okay yeah we're going to be out twice that night well sometimes we have this dilemma where it comes we we forgot that we're going to be busy that week we end up having to cook the food so it doesn't go off and then Mm. we end up eating it for lunch because you're kind of in this like weird position where you you have to get through the food because you have it and so that that's where we need to get to next right where these things kind of offer a level of intelligence that i think isn't far-fetched right it's not it's not like we want um you know it's not like we wanted to make the food for us it's not like we we wanted to look at our fridge and tell us that you know we're obese or something like that right (laughs) (laughs) we're just asking for a little bit of intelligence to sit around these services amazon the same for example you know they have those dash buttons again you just want a little bit of intelligence after you've clicked that dash button three times just to say you know what we've looked at the last three clicks and we figured out that you use this product every two months so we'll send it to you every two months without you even asking okay and i think, and I think that that also lends itself to things like we do you know pricing and promotions imagine mm-hmm. if you're able to get smart pricing and smart promotions based on that right like you know mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. It knows you're using it three weeks, but hey, you've bought it so many times from us. Here's fifty uh, percent off your next order. Right, right, right. And Tesco do something similar, but they uh, well, yeah, they right. Post they, they, it to you. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's that's if you use your club card as well on those products. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so it's kind of interesting where this is all going to go. I think where it has really interesting sort of impact on the work we do in analytics is the data. Mm-hmm. And of the course. real big thing here is, up until now, up until at least for the next two to three years. Most of the data that's created comes out or is derived from a human activity. So a transaction on Amazon, you know, checking into an event, uh, purchasing something. Those are all triggered by human behaviors in some way or form. Mm-hmm. And where we are now is that if these connected devices can actually, you know, do what they were promising to do three or four years ago because of a better network infrastructure to support it. You're going to have this explosion of data that's created by machines. And by that, I mean, you know, HelloFresh looking at my calendar and then making a decision based off that without me being involved in that, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to get three or four data points from that one activity. And if you go even further to things like driverless cars or stock intake being done dynamically through RFIDs and stuff like that, you're going to get so much more event data about every single thing that we do today that it's going to re- literally cause an explosion in sort of the analysis that I think a lot of business have, businesses have been wanting to do. Because the current problem is you get a piece of data and in business, it always seems that you collect the data just the grain above, just where you need it to be, right? <laughs> you need a, you need a transaction at the customer level. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, it's been aggregated up and you can't disaggregate it because the person you buy that data from, like Kantar, doesn't do that, right? They give you the aggregated version of that picture. And so with real-time analytics and real-time networks, you know, this is actually possible. You can actually get that information about you know, how many chocolate bars did I sell today? 
Yeah, exactly. And, and that, that speeds up the the events that, and the analysis that you're able to do off the back of that as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, however, 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 the, the oh. big, I think, trade-off, we're, I think we're at the now what part after talking yeah. about what and the so what, right? Yeah. The, the big now what is the data privacy, right? Right. So this is both on hardware, hardware so it's in the actual physical device as well as the software. Right, right. So we talked about this the peak smartphone and the fact that smartphones will only get better and smarter in software. But yeah. everyone who has a phone, um, an Android phone or an iPhone, um, will be able to do this on their photos. So if you go to the native photos app and you search for pictures of me with hats or pictures of hats or just search hats, for example, uh-huh. you will able be Google or iOS will be able to scan all your photos and give you those pictures right. because it's the software is smart enough. And, it, and as that trade-off of we'll store your photos, it's then just scanning them to, to help you. This is what mm-hmm. software thinks it's doing to help you um, find that out. Now, for a lot of people, that is scary and they don't want that to be shared. For example, the fact that the um, connected home devices, either be it Alexa or Google Home or even the HomePod, are always somewhat listening to, listen for the trigger face. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, all the stories about Amazon having people transcribing conversations, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All, all of those things are a privacy trade-off. Like, but but this is a transaction, right? It's a similar transaction to any paid service for, as you used to be, the mapping services like um, MapQuest yeah, or TomTom. Yeah. Yeah, this is people pay for those services, or you can get it from Google for free. But in exchange, you're saying Google can you can have my location anonymously for free, right? Right, right. And it's a, it's an interesting challenge. I always I always tend to argue things in a in a slightly different angle, which is okay. Let's look at privacy seriously, and let's just take a typical activity, for example, um, uh, something you buy off Amazon. Okay, mm-hmm. when you buy something from Amazon, Amazon and yourself and pretty much no one else knows that you've bought that item. Amazon obviously know because you bought it from them. Uh, and maybe the retailer on Amazon if it wasn't bought directly, okay? Let's take another example. Let's take your photos. You take a photo of a hat uh, and then you, it's in your photo album. Now, it depends who you're talking about because if you talk about Google, that analysis of whether that picture has a hat or not is done in the cloud. So they yeah. do that analysis in the cloud. And on Apple, it's done on device because what they do there is they, they, they have models of what objects looks like. Uh, loaded into the Apple device. And then they have a dedicated um, sort of algorithmic sort of AI uh, chip that actually does that processing. There's, there's also the specific device. RAM, isn't there? There's specific yeah, exactly. parts of the RAM that's dedicated exactly. to machine learning. Exactly. And those are those are relatively secure, those ones that are on the device. Um, and so in both cases, the Google and Apple are not aware that A, the photo is yours, and B, that it contains a hat. A machine is aware of that, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's it's this common misconception that, oh, Google, Google can see all my photos. Actually, no, they can't. They store that information in an encrypted manner. And the only thing that actually has access to that photo is the processing capability. So the processing, the computer that decides to process your photo has, can see that photo, but it doesn't have eyes. It doesn't see like your face and go, ooh, hello, hello, this is Tim. What it sees is a bunch of numbers, a bunch of pixels. And then it processes that in that similar way. So when you type hat, Google doesn't see a picture of a hat. It sees a bunch of ones and zeros, okay? And so I'm not trying to obfuscate the 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 sort of concern here. I'm not trying to sort of sidestep it at all, but I'm just trying to highlight that the thing you should be more worried about is actually how secure is that data, right? So yeah. if if Google is doing all that stuff, that's fine. But if that data isn't held securely, then it is easy for an actual human being to reverse engineer that information and steal it and then take a look at something that is actually sensitive. And so people get too drawn into the, oh, Facebook's listening to me or oh, Google's, <laughs> Google's looking at my photos. It's like, trust me, these companies have no interest whatsoever in looking at your one photo of a hat. 
What they care more about is how your one bit of data aggregates to a thousand users that they can call a middle-aged man in his 30s or whatever, um, you know, who buys a lot of technology. That's what they care about. They care about the demographic. And we get so- too drawn into like worrying that someone in the computer somewhere is literally human beings looking at our photos and that that just doesn't work at the scale these guys are <laughs> operating at they just don't have literally they don't have the time to look at the millions and billions of photos we're uploading on a daily basis to, yeah. to, to those services agreed so uh, tell me more about the vegan pizza experiment we did on friday <laughs> So I've still been shouting vegan pizza into my phone because it drives me up the wall when people say, oh, my God, Facebook's been listening to me. I saw this ad on Instagram and I swear I hadn't <laughs> typed it into my phone or anything. But then suddenly I got home and I opened Facebook and oh, there it is. It's an advert about vegan pizza. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, OK, OK, fine. Let me indulge this for a little bit. Instagram, I use Instagram. It has access to my microphone because I record videos on Instagram. So therefore it has to have access on my microphone. So I open up Instagram and for the last 48 hours, I have actually genuinely been still saying vegan pizza to my (laughs) my phone (laughs) to try and see if I get any advert, any advert whatsoever that even A has a pizza in it, B is a vegan (laughs) pizza. Okay. (laughs) And now we are 48 hours into it. I've seen nothing, nothing, nothing. And what I try and tell people is this, listen, I know it I know it seems impossible to just fathom this concept that you know there's no other way that they could have um you know found out this information about you without listening to you because you know humans have this um capability to do pattern recognition right, right. you see something you notice it and then you don't stop seeing it again and again and again and so in this particular case especially privacy which is very abstract we don't understand the data and how it comes from into our phone so we see phone in our hand we see an app we open app and then we see that it's got the ability to use the microphone. So we think, oh, the connection here must be that it's always using the microphone, even when the, the phone is off. And it's like, well, no, Apple doesn't let them do that. Like just, just number one. And number two, let's assume they even do that. Again, that's not the kind of data they need to process that advert or whatever. What they actually care about is your behaviors. You know, right. what behaviors did you trigger before you bought that vegan pizza? Because that is what they then use to figure out what other people might be doing to go buy that vegan pizza. They don't mm-hmm. literally take your microphone recording. And so these companies have gotten creepily good at using data to, to do this. Uh, a simple example is this. Um, I have a friend who was ill. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they, 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 they swore on earth that they, they didn't mention anything uh, on any social media platform. They don't have Facebook. Uh, they don't have uh, Instagram. They just use Twitter. And what they said was, I don't understand how my friend saw an advert for a cold and flu when A, they weren't ill, but B, I was. Okay. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. come on here. Come on. Okay. So I was like, okay, all right, fine, fine. So I just asked a couple of questions. I was like, okay. So do you, do you live with your friend? Are they a housemate? Yes. Okay. Well, let me explain that to you. You have your phone. It connects to a Wi-Fi router. Your Wi-Fi router has a <laughs> has unique a Mac address. Yeah? yeah. That Mac address is unique. So four of you connect to that. Facebook already knows you all live in the same property. So it's showing your friend an advert for a flu, even though he doesn't have one, because mm-hmm. it's figured out that someone in the property is ill. And so therefore it might as well just show ads to everyone in the house before they all get ill. This yeah. is literally how Facebook and, and so on and Google agreed, work. Agreed. I, this, I've is, got a this, good is, this is just how they work. I've got a good tidbit about that. So um, when, I, when, when I went to university, the this is when Facebook, everyone used Facebook. Nowadays, people are like, oh, I'm not on Facebook anymore and sort of get on there. <laughs> I'm on get on their high horse. About, exactly. <laughs> Owned by Facebook. WhatsApp and Instagram and all this stuff. Um, <laughs> but anyway, this is, this, is, this is when everyone was on Facebook. And he, he was telling me like, oh, yeah, so um, got to university. So he went to um, one close to where I live. And right. he was like, yeah, so we all got in. And then he was like, within 
uh, by the evening of my first day that I'd, I'd logged in, I opened up Facebook and my suggested friends, all of them were my flatmates. Um, I never actually, I, I, I didn't <laughs> add any of them. None of them added me, Ooh, but the suggested yeah. one was my flatmates. I was like, right. I was like, are you on the same network? Yes. There we go. Like, simple, done. done. Next. Yeah, next. <laughs> exactly. It's stuff like that. And it's just like that confirmation bias. I think also the second one was um, how Google um, can help hospitals predict flu out- outbreaks. Right. right? Because, right. Yeah. because when people start searching for flu symptoms, it's a, then able to do that. Now, um, there's a great article by a guy called Danny Page about how people should stop using Google Trends because mm-hmm. it's a common baseline. It's based on a zero, zero to 100 scale, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, they and do that deliberately, yeah. Of course, of course, because that's literally, you pay for Google Trends mm-hmm. <laughs> and AdWords for that for that information. Anyway, so um, the, the, this using there are good things that come out of having these things shared. And I think because of the volume of internet browsing that goes on, uh, as you say, a company will not care that a guy in his mid twenties uh, ordered a pizza and said, "Oh my god, I'm so excited about ordering a pizza!" Out loud, right? Like that—that that, that yeah. just doesn't matter. It just That's doesn't just, matter. And and it's also computationally expensive to process that. Imagine Correct. getting an audio clip like the Google here can barely can barely understand when I say uh, Google do this, and it's like, "Oh, okay, I started a timer." It's like, "No, you got that wrong." Like exactly. exactly. <laughs> why why would adverts be working any better? So, than so that? On, on on top of that, I, I remember speaking to a software company about you know I was like. Um, I think this is when I worked in Manchester and I was like, why is like, I clearly use your software. I log into Twitter at work and I'm given an advert saying, Hey, maybe you should start using this marketing market research company. And I was like, but, but like, surely how dumb is your advert that is picking me out? Right. Right. Um, I know who you're and talking the guy, about. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy was like, you know what? Do you know how much that costs? That co- that advert costs me two pounds a month. Now, if of the 1 million, 2 million, 5 million people that see that advert that have been profiled, then say, yep, I'm going to buy that. That's 15 grand. Right. Done. Sold. And it's like... Return on investment. It, it, return on investment. Ding, ding. Like, <laughs> it's, it's nothing. Like, I can now funnel as much money as I want into those adverts because I've made one sale off that advert, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. So it's things like that. that, that it's, it's things like that, that, that play into it, right? And um, mm-hmm. yes, there are, and if, if the privacy is a concern, there are now so many VPN services you can buy as a subscription exactly. to get that out, right? So yeah. you're, you're then able to um, protect yourself if you, if you so want to. And what will happen is, you know, VPN is currently a service. Soon ISPs will incorporate that into their de- uh, delivery and it'll just be another value add system. Although it maybe will, that's... It, you, know, you, almost, you almost get to a point where internet service providers will um, offer that as a, hey, we'll give you this for free. Uh, yeah. Similar to how, you know, you have energy providers now saying all of our energy comes from 100% renewable. Right. <laughs> it's like, is it though? Is it yeah, though? right. Yeah. And there's no way for me checking, but I feel ethically better about that, right? So <laughs> I feel better, yeah. You, 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 and I feel better about it. And so, yeah, the the, the this privacy thing is it's a really big thing. I think everyone can do a little bit more to educate themselves on uh, sort of the ethics around data. We spoke a bit about that last week. Mm-hmm. Um, they can do them themselves some, you know, some good. Just understanding the levels of privacy that they can reasonably expect from technology companies, given the interactions they have with non-technological companies. You know, I go to my GP, I have a heart attack when I see them writing everything on paper (laughs) because I'm like, damn, there's actually, my information is physically available. All you need is access to that filing cabinet. And I can, I know where that filing cabinet is, right? Yeah. Whereas I can't tell you where on earth the Google server is that has my 90,000 photos. I, that's well, that's just not information that's readily available. And, and, and Neither and can yet, Google. And yet, right? and yet, so we, we talk about an internet of things. So the, the other thing that's quite, this is a huge thing in America, uh, smart locks. I, right, right. I, I am just like, man, 
that's so bad. Like imagine having a smart lock, you'd be locked out of your house, blah, 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 blah. Like, imagine if your Wi-Fi goes down, all this stuff. But conversely, um, the, uh, the alternate route of if you've forgotten your keys is putting it in one of those hidden rock pebble <laughs> things. <laughs> yeah. Or like a four combination lock you get at the Airbnb you stay in. Under a plant outside of your home. Right. right. And it's just like, man, what's more secure? What is currently more secure at all, right? Uh, and, and simply the trade-off of, you know, people, if you tell someone I'm gonna, all your information is stored in the cloud, they're like, ooh, Oh, I'm not sure about that. I was like, well, it's that, or we put it in the hospital that could burn down. Someone could break in. Yeah. Copy, falsify your records by pen. All of these different things. So many uh, sort of, so many sort of things that we already fine with today, but we're suddenly not fine with when it's made. Into someone else something. does it. Yeah, yeah. When someone else, or more importantly, when the terms Google or Facebook come up, it's funny. If it wasn't Google, Facebook, Apple, or Amazon, I think mm. people would be happy. I think those companies just have an inherent amount of power in so many different places that they've developed mistrust. And they've also screwed up in, in some cases, you know, they generally have made really bad faux pas. I think um, the most recent one for Google was it came out a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. that back in December of last year, there was a brief period where when someone downloaded photos from Google Photos, they might not have got just their photos. They could have also got photos that belong to other people. <laughs> okay. But, and here's a big but, someone messed up at Google and people mess up every day. But if you go into an Apple store and you go to the Genius Bar and you see the amount of people every single day that are crying, if you mm. see the amount of people every single time I go in that are crying because they've forgotten their password to their iCloud backup and they've lost all their photos, Right. All mm. their photos that were on their phone because they had them backed up nowhere else. It's a, it's a mistake on exactly the same kind of level, and yet people people can't equate can't equate these things. Yet it's still a human being building these things, and so Google makes one mistake just, in it, a decade of photo services, right? But people make mistakes every day that lead to much worse consequences, much but, much but, worse. But but that's exactly it. Is it your problem, Tim, or is it their problem? If it, if I if I can stand on top of my hill. Mm-hmm. And have my holier than thou approach of being like, yeah. well, I didn't screw up. They screwed up, and they're a massive company. They can't screw up. It's it, it, it's that holier than thou approach that that will always continue to win in these scenarios. Well, the, the thing is, I, I put my data in Google, and I I expect them to not screw up. I expect them to be better at it than me. Exactly. However, Absolutely. <laughs> however, however, and here's a big but: I don't just trust them with my photos. I trust multiple people with the photos. I trust Apple. I trust Google, and I trust Backblaze to keep my photos safe. Right. Mm-hmm. And when I keep those photos in those places, I make sure that my Google account has two-factor authentication, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just a really simple thing. So I am personally maybe knowledgeable, so I know these things. And so, you know, you could argue Google could do a better job of educating their users. But go ahead. Go grab my photos off the Google server. You're still not going to be able to look at them because they're encrypted. This is, at, this, at is, this is already a thing, though. This is already a thing, though. Like, the people that are... There are people that are educating users. Like this is what banks are doing right now. Like the Barclays Eagles thing. So Barclays Banking, Banking right, in the UK, right, right. They, they, they've pivoted to, well, actually, it is partially our responsibility to train our users. That our, our, our bankers, you know, the, our customers should have that digital nuance to know what's a phishing email and what isn't. You know, whether yeah. a prince from Africa is actually contacting me and all those different things are, yeah, they're, 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 educa- they're education pieces. My, my critique to those things on, on TV is like, when's the last someone ever remembered an advert in detail on TV, right? Right, true. <laughs> <laughs> so it's lip service. It's like, look at us. We're a good bank. We're helping customers. We run all these academies. And okay, yes, they do actually do some, you know, digital academies for, for people and they do do mm-hmm. in-person stuff at branches. But like really, 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 really like... Um, <laughs> 
the best place to do this kind of stuff is at source, right? So when you're uploading a photo, that's the time to tell you, okay, here's what could happen. But they don't do that because they don't want you to not use in, not use a service. They want you to have this rosy picture of the world that eh, everything's fine, it's all good, it's, nothing, nothing will ever happen. And broadly speaking, nothing does ever uh, ever happen. Um, and even if they're a mistake, it doesn't impact everyone. It impacts a small minority. But there's some cases where you know that's that's a matter of life and death literally literally you know literally, if you go literally. to nigeria and you are able to get into someone's photo album and you find that they are you know gay or lesbian that's a life-threatening situation uh, for that individual whereas you know in western world we just laugh it off and go oh well you know oh it's the sun no oh, they just got access to the photo you know yeah exactly right <laughs> it's very blase yeah. about it uh, but, but, but yeah, in many exactly. cases it, it, it is literally it, it, it's yeah. such an important piece to be aware of absolutely for, for, for those countries it's almost like we can't because the government will get access to this information exactly. and use it for, for good or evil. You know, exactly. because it, it could happen here, it could happen in the US, it could happen in the anywhere. West. It can happen anywhere. Um, um, it's, and it's and the, those those are very real things to be aware of. Absolutely. Yeah, and concerned. And so everyone can do a better job of educating everyone else on privacy and data security. I try and help my parents with you know their password. Oh, my mum writes her passwords in a book, and I'm like, oh man. So. <laughs> So recently we got rid of this book. <laughs> That's why I'm saying it here. Otherwise I haven't yeah, had to write at all. Um, yeah. and, and they're all in like a nice secure system that now keeps them everywhere. And she never forgets a password, which is perfect. Um, you know, really simple thing. Like have someone else's email as a backup email for something that is pivotal, like your Google account. The, the only Google account you have, have the backup email be the email of your girlfriend or the email of a friend. Because then that way, if you set it to backup email to be, I don't know, some hotmail email that you haven't used in like three <laughs> years, right? The moment something really bad happens, you're going to wish you didn't use like some weird email that you haven't used in a while. You can actually just go to your friend and say, hey, I've forgotten this. You're going to get an email. Can you let me into my account? You know, people you trust, that's the best form of security. Mm-hmm. Exactly, right. which is why you, stuff like Imigo loans have come back into play. Like, guarantee guarantee your loan by a friend, not by a bank. God, we we started on the internet of lots of things, and now we've ended up with payday loans. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> what a journey! Some topic drift of of, of of epic epic proportions. But yeah, I think I think we have an episode there. I think um, these are these are all these are all topics to be broadly aware of. I'm really keen and excited to see where I think 5G won't be big this year. I think the iPhone this year will be the 5G device that really kicks everything off. I know loads of phone networks in the UK already Apple have 5G. Tags. In, Apple in, tags. In, in, yeah, absolutely. Apple tags. Those are already possible with tiles. I mean, I've been using tile now for two years. That thing has literally revolutionized my life. I never lose my keys. It's just impossible. But, I can't. But this is it. This is it, right? Like touchscreen phones already existed before the iPhone. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's just the way they're done. It's just the way they're done. Very, exactly. very, very true. Um, uh, oh man, we can talk about that topic another time. I was about to go off on a rant. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's but, two topics that I think have come up. We can talk about big companies like Amazon and Facebook and Google. Yeah, yeah, the, we can revisit those. Yeah, with the, the responsibility they have to their users, and also this, like you know, the the innovators' innovators dilemma of, of sorts. Right. So like, who, who, if you if is the first mover, always the best. Like, right. I remember, I remember seeing the first Apple Watch and the first iPad, being like. Pfft, no, no chance. And here I am. Uh, I've got an Apple Watch, and I'm probably going to buy an iPad at some point. So <laughs> it's it's all about it's all about is the is the first iteration there or is it not? Right. I have to be honest. Every so often, someone comes up to me because they know I'm an iPhone lover, right? And they go up to me and go, "Oh, I ditched my iPhone. I'm using Android. Look how much better it is." And they go Two through years later. These, no, no, no. They go through this like uh, process of telling me how much better it is, and I'm just looking over their shoulder, looking at what they're showing me, and I'm like, not convinced. <laughs> <laughs> Not 
convinced. And, you know, the same with someone who switches from Android to, you know, Apple or Apple to Android. You know, the same thing happens in both directions, right? Absolutely. Um, Android user looking at an iPhone user and go, yeah, not convinced. It's just, just a, a preference thing. It's just a preference thing. 100%. Okay, that's that's it. That's been a great show. You can find our show notes uh, up on datumpodcast.com. Uh, reach out to us on Twitter at datumpod. And you can find these episodes on pretty much any podcast uh, player you want. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast. Yes, I'll be adding a little Spotify button to the website yeah. for those of you who highlighted we, we to me that don't have Spotify there. We got a question on Friday, like, oh, man, you should put your podcast on Spotify. And we're like, but it is. <laughs> it already is. It it's already is. There. In fact, we have 50 listeners on Spotify already. So get mm. involved. Get involved. And um, uh, and we'll catch you in the next episode um, in a couple of weeks' time. Excellent. Take care, everyone.